Life. Dignity. Security. Freedom. Freedom. Respect. Justice. 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 Equality. Equality. Remedy and protection. Fairness. Fair time. Right. Work. Movement. Good day and welcome to Human Rights Radio, hosted by Amnesty International volunteers who are a worldwide movement of people dedicated to the promotion of human rights and the safety of all human beings. We're building a world in which every person enjoys the rights included in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and other human rights standards. Our theme song is titled 30 Words, The Universal Declaration of Human Rights written and performed by R.E.M. and a collection of musicians from around the world. And today we have a very special program about Sudan. And uh, it should actually be in the news more than it is, I think we'll all agree. And uh, they are having a a great uh, deal of problems there with the uh, leadership in the country. And uh, so we have some people from Sudan here. uh, And I'm going to... uh, I'm going to ask uh, Manal to introduce the people we have here, and uh, we'll sort of take it from there. Well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Jim. Thank you so much for the radio talk for Amnesty International. Uh, it's, it's, li- it's really my pleasure to be here, along with my uh, maybe sons and daughters. <laughs> I'm the oldest one here. And uh, how about let them introduce themselves? Okay. Yeah, and then I will do mine at the last. Um, my name is Umnia. I'm a student at the U of R. I study social work. Um, I came to Canada around maybe five years ago. And that's it. Uh, my name is Mohana Delamin. I'm, uh, I'm a researcher at the University of Regina. And I've been in Canada for about four years now. This is my fifth year. Uh, that's more or less uh, everything about me. My name is Hagalawad, and 
I'm doing my PhD in University of Regina, and I came here. Uh, I've been here for two years now. That's pretty much. My name is Raja Musa, and I'm a student at the University of Regina studying clinical psychology, and I've been in Canada for about 14 years now. Uh, my name is Jalal Adam. I've been here about 14 years. Um, uh, social work. And uh, yeah, and I involve a lot of the Sudanese community here, training soccer and, and uh, training youth, and uh, I work with the Ranchello Society. Wow. So we got a pretty wide spectrum then of people who haven't been here for very long and people who've been here for 14 years. How long have you been here, Manal? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I have been here, this is my 17 years. Wow. Yeah, I was here since... Uh, 2002. And uh, my name is Manala Lejabu, and I am an activist, uh, especially in human rights and women rights. Both all my life experience, working experience, is focusing on that uh, situation, okay. in that pattern. And I always love to work and do that kind of job, voluntary, paid, whatever. So it's my passion for life. And as I said, I um, could be a mother or an older sister for <laughs> all those biggest. <laughs> Thank you. One th well, I haven't. Uh, I'm not done with you yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I would like you to give us a sort of a brief history of Sudan. Um, how I guess how modern Sudan started and uh, how it got to where it is now. Wow, that's. Uh it's good, good. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one paragraph. Well, yeah, <laughs> I I'll try to be a brief about uh, like I'm gonna talk about thirty years mm -hmm. in three minutes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> or less, or thirty seconds. Well, uh, you might know, and of course everyone from Sudan know that the current regime actually came to the power uh, through a military coup, mm -hmm. which enveloped or covered with the. Uh, Islamist uh, group, which mm -hmm. we call them in Arabic, Al-Khwan al-Muslimin, Jama'at Al-Khwan al-Muslimin, or Al-Khwan uh, uh, Islamic Brother group. And uh, since they've came to the position now, this today is their third year, year in Sudan, uh, they announced uh, very radical things, the very things they said they would like or they are going to change the per Sudanese personality, as if to reform the character of Sudanese. Pers yeah, that's one thing they said. And to do that, it takes uh, take them to use as much as they can anytime, anywhere, just to do the formulation or the changes of the pers personality of the Sudanese uh, person. And uh, mentioning that, that it's a uh, Changing all the social activities or social norms, traditions, and uh, customs. Like the Sudan, the Sudanese guy or person now is totally different from then in terms of so many things. It's not the time to tell, talk about that, but it will need like uh, hours to speak about that. But it's reflected. It's reflected in the type of life currently Sudanese people live in Sudan. It's reflected also in the number of Sudanese people who are living outside of Sudan when we come to that point. 
uh, this government or this regime also what he, what they have been doing up to date is uh, they are believing in two words isolation and exclusion I would mm-hmm. uh, put these two exclusion economically if I can start with that and they started that right away by uh, starting with laying off to the public interest what we call it the Salih Al-Am thousands of people skilled people, we are talking about skilled people with different backgrounds at labor level or uh, even uh, other levels they started to lay them off because they have their own people so economically they affected their family themselves and indirectly set them to leave the country at different times over these 30 years not only the formal sector, they also touched or affected the informal sector like even the the street vendors or the ladies. Sudan, one of the uh, one of the, those countries, struggle with the poverty up to date. So you would find or you would see a lot of people whom they are doing uh, vendoring or uh, selling stuff in the streets. So they even reached that point. They conquered and they occupied all these people, and they turned them into agents whom they ally with the uh, current regime. This is economically, just just simple. Socially, as I said, they change the personality of their in, in planning to do that. Politically, if you are in uh, in a different uh, political point of view or a different political party rather than them, you will be in jail no matter what. You will be tortured. You will be uh, detained any time. And the focus on that, specifically women and children, they are all the time over these 30 years as if this regime came just to fight with the women and the children and of course the rest of the Sudanese community. So we have, have mentioned these three kinds of exclusion because they wanted to conquer, they wanted to have everything for themselves. This is definitely it's not a good sign. This is definitely nobody will survive for 30 years under this such control. And they even ruined the security, police, and army structures for themselves. They laid off as much as they ruined the structure. They did whatever it takes them to do to keep their regime for 30 years for themselves. So this is leave Sudanese people or citizens with nothing but to fight. One, one question I have. Who are the, the people of privilege? How do they happen? How do they get into this position uh, yeah are they different ethnicity uh, different uh, what what how would you describe the group that's in okay. power I, now? I will just talk about the part of the political affiliation mm-hmm. analyze and if anyone from the group they can comment about the rest of the that okay so they are basically a loyal or part of this uh, Islamic group which okay. we call al Muslimin okay. and they have been organized themselves long time before they came into the power and uh, unless you are uh, a long life member like at least 10 20 years with them mm-hmm. you're not part of them okay or they might use you to do some stuff against their the other uh, people or they use of you for few years and then they left you to the street and do whatever you want and mm-hmm. i think uh, yeah uh, it, although this is really a very big question to start with about the history of sudan and how it got to this point but just in summary, like uh, Sudan got its independence in 1956, okay. and since then uh, we have been governed 
uh, by mostly military-based uh, governments throughout our history. Prior to 1956, uh, who was running? Was it the, the Brits? It was the Britons, okay. yeah, the Britons, uh, yeah, uh, colonization. And uh, okay. since then, there's come democracy, and then it's overthrown again by military. And that uh, pattern have been going through since uh, 1956. Mm. Uh, so in 85, in 1985, people have went to the streets against uh, a military government, and they overthrown it and got a new government in place. But again, that didn't take a long until uh, the military again has uh, took place uh, and, and mean took the position. So we have been struggling with this since our basically our early start. But this one have been uh, to the great extent the more uh, like the longest government so far. Just to give you an example or a perspective to this, most of the people or the um, that we have here in this room have been born and raised and got their education while al-Bashir is in is a president mm -hmm. so it's it's 30 That's years including you also Marcus. including myself now <laughs> finished them with PhD <laughs> under the same regime mm -hmm. so that gives the the audience a perspective of what we're dealing with now it's it's something that has rooted into the country for 30 years how do they start it um, it, it was really a movement like uh, Manal explained an Islamist group movement how did they get privileged they were not actually when they started so they were just one of the people they were most of them were actually poor uh, and that's their their origins and they were fighting for for better things that's that's their their ideal things when they started but then uh, as time goes by they actually got to the power and we all know that power has its own uh, affection and that's what happens basically most of them now turns into they forget about what they started the movement with and then they just move into people who are mostly interested in their own benefits. So that's how they got up to this point. That's why they are very insulated from from the rest of the people. Mm -hmm. I try to exclude and isolate everyone. Thank you so much for uh, the contribution so far to this discussion about the human rights issues in Sudan. I, my name is Gord Barnes. I didn't introduce myself at the beginning of the program, but I really appreciate the opportunity to join with you uh, in talking about the human rights issues in Sudan. Um, one of the things I'm wondering if, if you could just mention, when did the most recent protests start and, and why did they start? And I, my understanding is it started in a particular part of the country, but then has really spread. So if, if a few of you would like to uh, speak to that, that would be great. So the most recent protests start on uh, December 19th, I guess. And there are few so that start just two days or three days before that in Damazin. But the most biggest one was in uh, Adbara, like in Nahanili State, River Nile State, uh, in Adbara, like a uh, student from school uh, took the street because of uh, rising the bread prices. And then we start from there. But like this is not the first one. 2013, we have similar thing and more than 300 people died. And between 2013 and 2018, there are small things here and there. But even it, it, it was there before that, we have the war in South Sudan. Mm -hmm. And it ended by separation of South Sudan in 2011. And the two regions, like uh, Nuba Mountains and South Kurdufan, still are fighting. We have something similar in East Sudan. And the uh, peace agreement came in effect in 2006, I guess. 
So it is almost all over the Sudan. Like it just take time to reach the capital city. So at that time, like people, they were just fighting alone, even in Darfur and in some northern state. So it is just something like sometimes because of the prices, sometimes before because of uh, uh, some discrimination and uh, genocide and um, development. So yeah, so every time people are like just uh, ask for something, the government reply back by using just forces. This is what they get. Thank you so much for for that sort of background in terms of the most recent protests. I've read on the Amnesty International site, and with the, where I'd like to go relative to the Sudan issues at is amnesty.org, because they, then you can have a look at what's being reported. The, really significant uh, concerns in human rights issues, where, for example, um, the, the uh, protesters who were wounded in and then had to go into the hospital, um, were followed by military people who not only attacked the wounded people in the hospital, but also medical professionals. Uh, it's just appalling to read that kind of reporting. And I don't know if you've got more sort of uh, information or comments with respect to that, but uh, uh, welcome to sort of contribute thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I could start on this one. I, I think the extent of violence this regime can go to is unimaginable. Uh, it has, like Isaac explained, started in uh, Darfur and in Nuba Mountains. Thousands of people have been killed. Uh, the difference was that the people in the capital cities and other cities of Sudan were not really aware of these things, not most of them at least, uh, only the activists. So by seeing this on the streets, like you explained that there's, they're chasing people up to these hospitals and they're uh, torturing them in front of their parents and their, their families and their everybody. Uh, there's lots of incidents that are reported, especially targeting women in particular. I would say in the most like uh, last 10 days, uh, most of the protests, the uh, national security forces are mostly targeting women. Uh, which really hits on a very important part in Sudan that women is are protected and they're um, they, they represent the heart of the society in our country and in our culture. So they started hitting on that, and, and that's really getting lots of people uh, so spreading more fire into what is already existing. So uh, recently, I would say, uh, University of Ahfad, it's a, a women-based university in Khartoum. Uh, their students there have been protesting against this uh, regime uh, inside their universities. They did not even go to the street, and they have been faced by uh, live ammunition and uh, tear gas being thrown into them. So examples are a lot are about how violent this regime is, and maybe uh, Jalal and, 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 and Raja can add into that. Thanks, Mohana. To add to that, this thing's gotten worse. As Manal said, like you know, most of us grew up and born through. Uh, throughout this regime like for the last 30 years we haven't got anything from we don't know anything about this regime except war torture and hunger if you see like there is so many Sudanese everywhere in the world you know in neighboring country Ethiopia Uganda Kenya they're all Sudanese there because of war and now this thing is getting even worse they're now like dropping tear gas in people's family in their homes hospitals schools 
even on the bus, anywhere, there is any gathering right now, they just drop tear bombs on the people. And that's the way that the Sudanese government tries to silence people. And so they're targeting doctors, all those educators, because they know they're going to, like, you know, face them. And that's why, you know, we hate to voice our anger, to let them know that, you know, there is absolutely no way for any dictator to get away with anything. You know, people like Amnesty International and uh, Human Rights Watch, you know, we're going to voice our voice to let them know that no matter how big they are, they're not, you know, we're not going to let them go with anything. We're going to voice our own voice and let them know that we are not happy with what's going on in our country. You know, it's, if there is anything else. So about the violence that um, is happening now, that they're targeting educated people, doctors, or university students, I think that the government is doing all of these kind of violent acts to, ma to make people forget why they're doing uh, the protest from the beginning because they want them to fight back then it will be like a civil war all over again because they're just doing it in a peaceful way and by spreading violence people will uh, act violent back so that's why they're doing what they're doing right now Um, I would also like to add that um, Sudan's government has always used violence to silence people for a very long time um, now. And it's actually one of the main reasons I'm here in Canada, because they did grow up in a refuge camp due to the violence that um, brought to people by the Sudan government. Um, I remember stories, my mom telling me how they would bomb them for just no reason, you know, because they had the courage to stand up for their own rights. Um, uh, one thing I'd, I'd like to ask you then, it's so difficult to get protests going. Who is basically being the activist? Who's leading the protests now? If I can start. Yeah. Uh, the Actually, the protest currently is, uh, is being leading by a group of professionalism, professionals actually, whom they are mentioned by doctors, engineers, but they are not alone. They are the leaders, and but there are uh, uh, many other uh, allies now, or alliances come to join or to be part from the uh, from from the protest, like the uh, Nida Sudan. It's a political. It includes a, a lot of political parties, and another civil society groups also joined, and uh, university lecturers also. They have their own initiative, but the the actual leader when they started with. The current things, it's a professional association. Yeah, um, the, the recent uh, protest that started in, in December of 2018, it was initially started by uh, a huge increase in prices of bread and medicine. So people who got to the streets are, are the real people who really ne are suffering directly from these things. But then later on, the uh, professionals, the Sudanese professional association, uh, have been taking the lead on this by organizing this protest and just giving the organization part, not just the leading part. But the people on the streets are really the youth, the people who are actually suffering from this 30 years regime. So um, from different backgrounds, engineers, um, doctors, normal people on the streets. So these are basically everybody, every Sudanese is, are, are there on the streets fighting for their rights. So protesting is a right by Sudanese constitution and uh, the government like it's completely violating the human rights like the journalists now it's kind of now they own everything 
like the media, uh, the govern, like the police, the military forces, TVs, radios, uh, newspaper. So, like the only thing that Sudanese people now they have is kind of the the social media. So that is why even this they cut the internet. So now use it, people use the VPN to read their voice out. So what they are trying to do now, they're trying to own people. Like you don't have, to, you, you can't say anything, you can't protest, you can't say your opinion. So this is what they are trying to do right now. Well, I think this has been happening for the past 30 years. Like, uh, thank you for mentioning the human rights violations, starting from the freedom of expression, where most or many of the journalists has been um, detained or jailed or... Uh, force them to leave the work because they are expressing their ideas. This is, has been on and off during the 30 years. Also, the freedom of uh, assembly and freedom of uh, uh, social gathering, like peacefully gathering. This is uh, another thing of, uh, that the government always being violated. That's what takes them to go inside the universities where the the students get together and discuss whatever they have. So always the government security guys, they have been part from that discussion. So, and, and on top of that, as we said, like genocide, ethnic cleansing, and, and so on, so on. We, we, it's uh, a list of violations, actually, which makes most of Sudanese people, they just flee the country because they wanted to, to, uh, the, the deterioration and the harassment is that to life threatening. So there is no other way but to leave, to run as Raja and Jalal maybe, uh, they struggle with that. Uh, Ishaq from Darfur, which we talk about the genocide and I don't want to single everyone, <laughs> but everyone in this room are really struggling, even the people from Northern Sudan and Eastern Sudan, either economically, socially or war. And if just let me uh, like summarize what incidents that uh, have been as a result of this regime. First, as you said, uh, the war. Therefore, Ruba Mountains, Blue Nile. <laughs> Again, uh, if we summarize this about what is the results out of these 30 years, it is the war. Uh, what, whatever type of war tribal or whatever, it's in Darfur, which now make Darfur people isolated from the rest of the country in terms of development and everything. Nuba Mountain, Blue Nile, and, uh, and the very sad things that the separation of South Sudan, this is a major, major result out of this regime presence to have half or third of our country being uh, separated or have their own uh, country. So this is just a very simple example of throughout the 30 years and throughout the presence of this regime. Yes, uh, to add to that, uh, to add to my analysis, you know, we just want to remind people that those peaceful, the, the protests, they were peaceful. It means Silmia, in Arabic, that means peaceful. You know, the, those people that get protested for their basic needs, like food, water, education, and better life. That's all. The other government have been ruling us for the last four, 30 years. This is where we are now. We don't have food, we don't have bread, we don't have shelters, we don't have even fuel to move. We just want you to leave or do something for us. They've been faced with the tear gas and killing and torture and all this kind of stuff. You know, we just want the government to know that we just need the basic needs for our people. That's why we want it, because people are so fed up. You know, for the last 30 years, we haven't had anything. You know, all of us, most of us are like out of country right now. We can't even go to our own countries. We don't have any connection with our own families right now because everything is down. So if I can add something, like people now, they are not asking for 
the government to do something that is uh, impossible. They asked to use what is available effectively because what we have is kind of mismanagement and corruption. We are not a poor country. Like we we are a rich country, we have resources, but we are just we have been ruled by poor mentality for a long time. So like people now they ask like this government we need to instead of seventy percent of our budget goes to military forces, which is like since uh, in our independence nothing used outside, all of just against us. So we need this money to go to education, to health care, to other stuff. So we just need to manage what we have. That's what people ask for. Mm-hmm. So there's been mention made of uh, the people who have had to leave Sudan and and go to other countries, including Canada, and um, for example to Kenya, some other African countries. I wonder if you can share a little bit of information w- where people have gone and maybe how many people are. Do you know how many people are f- from Sudan are living in Canada, for example, and even in Regina? Um, if is it a large community here in the city? In Regina, we we do have a large community uh, from people from Sudan, from the Nuba area, from South Sudan. Uh, Some of them have been living here for a while now, I think. I don't know because I've been here only for five years. I'm not quite sure about the information. But about me, I've never lived in Sudan. Mm. I was born in Switzerland. Mm. Then um, me and my family, we moved to the Emirates. I grew up there. I went to schools there. We used to go visit Sudan sometimes every summer, but I never lived there because of the situation. My parents could never find any jobs there with their fields. So that's why we ended up living in another country. And now I'm here in Canada. Yeah, um is um, I will add to that that people uh, have fled Sudan uh, as refugees in lots of countries, and maybe Jalal can add into that. But uh, more than that, there are lots of people who are working in other countries. Like uh, the latest statistics have reported about more than two million Sudanese people living outside, either working in in, in Gulf countries or or in uh, like Canada, uh, Australia. Uh, other uh, even Asia now they're traveling to everywhere so all those people are looking for a better life for themselves and helping supporting their families back home and the reason for that Manal has started with saying that it's really hard to get a job if you're not uh, allied with this regime it it reached up to that extent third years have been spread into everywhere in the country the media, the TV, the workforce everywhere so people fleeing the country either as refugees or are just simply seeking better life for themselves uh, somewhere else. Uh, the Sudanese people uh, who are living in exile or in diaspora, they are 10 million Sudanese <laughs> all over the world. 2 million they are, or a little bit less than 2 million, uh, a million and a half in Canada. In Canada, like, and because over the past uh, five, ten years, there are lots of immig- immigrant skilled workers and different types, as Mohanad said, uh, beside the refugee. Uh, in Regina, I wasn't sure exactly, but I'm quite sure we're more than uh, 500 family. Uh, that includes uh, people from South Sudan, Blue Nile, uh, Nuba Mountains, Darfur, and the rest. But, uh, and, and this is just a statistic done like a last year. Now it could be even more than 10, 10, 10 millions outside of, of Sudan. Uh, 
What's the population of Sudan? The population in Sudan currently is about 29, 29, 28 million. Up to 35. So, so the, diaspora, sure. the diaspora is around 10 million. Oh yeah, it's like a, kind of the third of the population. Yeah. And don't forget the people from South Sudan. We used to be 35 when we have mm -hmm. the South Sudan. I don't think we reached that far in it. I think we are less than uh, 30, if not uh, 25, something like that. And um, subtract the, the people whom they're living in uh, exile now. And some people who are here have had to leave Sudan and live in refugee camps mm -hmm. uh, prior to getting to Canada. Yeah, for someone like me, uh, I'm from Blue Nile, and uh, we moved. We had to move to Ethiopia uh, during the war in 1998. So we lived in Ethiopia there for about uh, five years before we come here. So as far as I remember, we were like about 150,000 people just from one place, from Blue Nile. We flew to Ethiopia due to war. So thanks to United Nations, we've been living in tent for about five years until... And I always go back every two years to visit the camp because that's my heart and people I know, they live there. Some of those kids, they're still struggling. There is no food, there is no water, there is no education for them. They're struggling until, you know, like international community helps out for them food and education, all this kind of stuff. But they're still struggling there due to their regime. Some of those kids, they're born there now, they, they don't even know where Sudan is. And some of them, they don't even know why they're there in first place. Nobody is uh, helping them to understand. So they're really in need of education and uh, and, uh, and just to, the, the, to understand the history of the Sudan themselves. So they're really struggling there. And here in Regina, we, from Ethiopia itself, we're like about a thousand people here, or even more. Mm -hmm. you know. But some of them just come to Regina and move to Calgary and Vancouver and Toronto and those big cities. So. Um, well, I was born and raised um, in a refuge camp in Ethiopia. When you're like a refugee child, you don't know what's happening around you. You don't know the violence that's going on around you. But it comes effects when you see it in your parents' eyes and your aunts and uncle. And they tell you stories about what happened to them, you know, and how many people they lost. And they had to flee their country, so they left everything. You know, when you're fleeing a country, you don't think about, oh, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take that. You have to leave everything behind, you know, and hope that you can go find a better place and rebuild again. Um, and it's very dangerous also. Um, a lot of things can happen in the way because you're not traveling by car. You are walking to Ethiopia or Uganda or wherever, you know, you want to go seek a shelter. I think one of the biggest things that I could say um, has affected me from all of this um, would be um, that lack of culture. You kind of lose um, a sense of who you are, a big part of you. So it's hard to say you're Sudanese when you grew up uh, in an you know, Ethiopian way or a Canadian way. I am very thankful, obviously, to be here in Canada, but I would have loved to also uh, to have grown up in Sudan and to know my own, you know, cultural, uh, maybe speak Arabic a little bit more better and, you know, uh, get to meet my father's family, my mother's family, things like that. And that's one of the biggest things that um, Omar Bashir has robbed us of. And yes, we're safe here, but 
we've lost a lot also. I was just thinking too, as as refugees, when you go to another country, you're not always welcomed. They're not. They're the people there aren't that happy to see you, because you need food, you need resources, and and uh, they're wondering, well, who's going to pay for this, and and things like that. And, and that's true, you know. I guess from first-hand experience, you know, going to a different country like a newborn, like a child. Adding to that, as a refugee, we never had anything. We have to learn how to take the bus, how to use the ATM, how to go to grocery shopping. All this kind of stuff, it was a culture shock for us. And you know, that's why you see in school here, the, like high schools and stuff, so many refugee kids, they have been trouble even just adopting to the culture. You know, because they feel, they feel like isolated because they, 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 don't, they feel like they don't belong here. You know, all those kind of things, they were foreign to us. We have to learn everything. And the problem is not learning. It's unlearning the culture you learn in order to adopt to Canadian culture. It was very, very challenging. And that's why you see many youth, they drop out of school, and they gang, like, they, they go into gang and those kind of stuff. Because they need a sense of belonging. You know, because that's the easy way. You know, getting through education is not easy. You know, let's all face it. So getting in trouble is easy. You can go in the street and get in trouble. That's why, you know, we need so much help and support for those kids you know and we need to be in their shoes to understand them wh- why they act in this way what's going on in their life you know so many kids they drop off some of them like because the kids can't do school anymore because of this kind of challenges they have but it needs a little bit of understanding why what's going on in their life what happened to you if you could ask this kind of question we'll be able to understand them why things are the way they are yeah. um, and it's true um, it is hard to uh you know, um, build a new life in a refugee camp, and it, you're not welcome there. Obviously, um, thank you to the United Nations. You know, they brought rations um, every month or so. You know, food, water, and stuff. But sometimes that is not possible, and you have to make do with what you have. You have to learn to, um, you know, plant and dig wells. Like I remember, like digging a couple wells to get water, um, clean water, and. I think a couple times we had droughts too. Like we faced challenges like that um, when we shouldn't have to. Like we have a whole country of our own, but we have to move somewhere else to rebuild a new life just because we have a president who can't see that violence cannot solve, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is what exactly the regime uh, decided when they came into uh, the power. And they actually, they said it even very frankly, like if in order to improve the life or to develop the Sudan, we have to sacrifice half of the citizens. One of the guys said that the very, very first year. But anyways, this is the result. Like this is the result, like people whom they never been in Sudan and they never have any idea about the culture, as Raya said, or about, or they are struggling with the very basic, uh, needs like water and food and shelter those are very basic should be available anytime for everyone but this is what currently now these protesters or those protesters are doing for that for the sake of that uh, unfortunately this is a beginning but but this is a the, this is a regime that over 30 years take us or took us all the way to go back to square one we're still ba- going back to struggle again with the food and shelter and what whatever make us like human being, like living in a very 
uh, convenient environment. I'm I'm curious at this point what the government's official line is, what their explanation of all this is, what they're trying to like all these protests. Are they are they are they uh, trying to paint them as as uh, rebels or something like that? Uh, somehow making making these people the bad guys or uh, you know they're trying to create unrest and the government is trying to to uh, you know fix things when they're really not so if you allow me to start and then okay. <laughs> just a brief because <laughs> uh, what what the government trying they they can go in details I will just okay. mention one thing about what the government exactly trying to tell the international mm-hmm. community and the whole world that yeah. those protesters are criminals ah. they are not it's not any more peaceful uh, demonstration or protest as Omnia mentioned earlier that mm-hmm. by uh, sending people or criminals whom they know from their own side to create more problems to and they the guys I can mention about this the, some of the examples about the protesters do for to save even the people from the government lives but uh, very quickly they are trying to do that and they are trying even to market that this protest about food and economic crisis it's not it's not at all this is it might start at that but it is about dignity it is about human rights it is about being a human being living in a human country it's not just food and, and, and water. and No, it's beyond and above that. But they are trying each time when they talk to media to, to formulate it or to tabulate it like that. Oh, they are, we are going to fix a crisis, economic crisis. We are going, that's why Omar al-Bashir, he started traveling from one country to another, Qatar, Egypt, asking uh, for uh, uh, aid and uh, food. But this is not the problem. Not anymore, even if it is the beginning, but not, it's not. It's not about food or about uh, water or about shelter. It's beyond and above that. I, I can just uh, this is really a very good question. Uh, and when you ask it, it's as, as if you're kind of part of, as if you're in Sudan, actually, when you ask these questions, because that is typically what is happening now. Like Manal explained that uh, you see the war has started in 1998. And therefore, war in 2002. So why are we just having the protest right now in 2018 and 19? So there was the 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 government really controls the media in Sudan. And me as as one of the youth, uh, it's just an example. Up until very recently, we were all thinking that because this is what we have been taught in schools, at universities. You open the media, you listen to the radio, that these are criminals, people in Nuba Mountains people in Blue Niles, mm-hmm. like Jalal, they are criminals. And that's that's how everybody were perceiving them. <laughs> I'm sitting next to one right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, oh. This is this is really what is happening in Sudan. That control, yeah. it's 30 years. It's not something uh, perceivable. So they created this culture of separation or isolation of these people. But uh, in 2009, the protest started in Khartoum, the capital. That is when people started to realize that okay, this is this doesn't make any sense. There is something wrong. Uh, same thing that is happening to these people are now happening to us. So, and now they're they're still using the same lines. These are uh, criminals, and maybe most recently the uh, the the president of the uh, national security forces have allegedly said that one of the uh, protesters are actually killing the the rest of 
the protesters themselves and that they have satellite images of these things. So they are still using these stories. um, They're thinking that people, okay, they can still believe in these things, Mm -hmm. just like what they did in the last 20 years. But now with the social media and access to everything, Mm -hmm. this has changed. People can see what is happening in the streets and they cannot be fooled no longer. So that is why I think what is different in this protest than the previous ones is that everybody now is aware of what's happening. Uh, especially the youth like you see the people on the streets they are 20 years old 15 20 25 years old because they have access to social media everything is in the news you can't hide the truth any longer so that is why they are actually fighting and they are still they don't believe of what the government is actually they're using it just to make jokes uh, in between them so every day we listen to what the uh, the, the government is saying we just use it to make jokes and, and and kind of create more fire and, and get the protest going. So, yeah. Something I forgot to ask about uh, and mention is that I was reading one of the more recent amnesty reports, and it talks about how people and you know I I really enjoy doing art myself, and but there's a lot of people who are using art of in different kinds of art uh, in Sudan as part of the connection to the protests. And uh, if you wanted to speak to that, anybody has information more about how that's working that would be great okay for me okay <laughs> for me the most beautiful thing I have said I have seen is, is uh, like people use the tear gas uh, uh, package to to plant some uh, rose like or some flowers in it so this is one of the most beautiful thing I have seen but like other thing they use like uh, the slogans is, are very are very popular and, na- and national, and it's kind of like we are apologize for people of, from Darfur or from Nuba Mountains or from other countries that we, like we, at that time we we couldn't hear you, we couldn't see you, we couldn't feel what you feel. We are sorry. Yeah, like we say, yeah, yeah. Also, Marukul al Balad Darfur. That is mean like we are all Darfurian. Like this is kind of yeah. Um, or racial or arrogant we are all therefore and just something like this and there are many they write and uh, they share foods and stuff and sing so there are many stuff like they used to how this is how they call each other to protest like the protest is start at 1 p.m. so the way they do it is kind by so sing or yeah or poem or something like this well, I was wondering, Manal, yes. if uh, okay, all right, <laughs> then I'm gonna ask you to do something. It's very interesting. Okay. It's very interesting okay. because there is a poem now uh, released, I think, last week, uh, having all names of the people whom they've been killed during. It's about 60, 60, 60 something uh, individual. Range the age between 14 years old up to 62, 65 years. So there is one guy he he did the poem very very nicely. We, maybe we'll mention it sometimes later. I mean in another time. But it have all the names of the mm. the protests whom they have been killed during this. And I just want to go back a little bit to the 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 violent things. I I, I thought one of you they might mention that the protesters themselves they help. Mm-hmm. the people from the regime and they do a very outstanding stuff very very nicely one one just little example 
when while they are doing the protest, you know, they are moving from one street. I think some of them they accidentally break broke a, car, a glass for the car. You know what they did? They right away pull out some money, mm-hmm. put it in an envelope, and stuck it in the car or hand it to the one of the mm-hmm. um, the house because the 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 car is beside their house, and they moved on doing their protesting. This is just one example, and they are kept it because they wanted to tell the whole world that it is a peaceful demonstration. They are not allowing any ruining anything or hurting anybody. Thank you for keeping. Oh God, here's here's my task for you. Yeah, I I would like you to uh, say something for our Arabic listeners. Uh, I'd like to I'd like you to uh, to talk to them for a moment and uh, and I guess basically. Sum up what we're doing here in Arabic. In Arabic. Oh. Assalamu alaikum, Sadal Mustamein. Yani Anahina bin Radio Talk, Lua Bid Bale Amnesty International. Resulti, Lil Mustamein, Sudanin, Wayer Sudanin, Albit Kalamulu al Arabi, Al Fusha, Yani Dara Gulum, Resulti, and Al Ula Inu Al Muzaharat. والثورة بتاعت السودان الثورة السودانية الحالية في السودان هي ثورة سلمية مية مية وما عندها علاقة بالفقر ولا بالاقتصاد ولا كده عندها علاقة مباشرة بالدجنتي الاحترام بتاع البني آدمين واحترام البني آدم وتوفير كل حقوق الإنسان ودار أقول لكم يعني مع بعض خلونا نقول كلمة واحدة اللي هي الشعر بتاع ثورتنا تسقط بس ممكن أنا أضيف بس حاجة واحدة بالنسبة لكل المستمعين العرب أو السودانيين إنه بالرغم من إنه نحن كلنا موجودين خارج السودان لكن استيل الناس ممكن تشارك في الثورة دي في مبادرات مادية لدعم الثورة ودعم السوار في السودان في مبادرات فنية لوجستية مثلا زي تصميم شعارات للمتظاهرين في السودان فلازم كل زول يفتش أو يسعى حتى إذا كان موجود خارج السودان عن السبل الممكن يساعد بها الناس هناك الثورة دي ليست فقط ثورة بتاعت ناس في الشارع للأكل أو ينقصوا لهم العيش دي ثورة بتاعت تغيير لغيم ترسخت لمدة 30 سنة فلازم الجميع يشارك فيها سواء كانوا في السودان أو خارج السودان كلهم بما تيسر له أنا قسالتي للإعلام العربي اللي هو بعيد كل البعد من البحثر في السودان وهو يعني ما ما زال إنه بدعم ال الرئيس عمر البشير فيعني تقريبا الحكومة الموجودة حاليا هي صغطت هي مشكلة الزمن حاليا فهي حتصغط ونحن إن شاء الله حنكون علاقاتنا الجديدة ب بمصالحنا يعني ما ما حنخلي تاني مثلا إنه حنشارك في السعود مع السعودية أو مع أي دولة تانية مثلا لخدمة مصالحهم حيكون الهدف الأول والأخير هو الشعب السوداني فالشعب السوداني حيكون أوله وأخيرا وما فاتش يعني ممكن الإعلام العربي حاليا ممكن يسلط الضوء يعني إنه ممكن يعكس الحاصل في السودان شنو بس ينقل الحقائق كل المطلوب من الإعلام العربي هو نقل الحقائق ما أكتر ولا أقل. This has just been a fabulous uh, and and very interesting discussion to listen to through uh, the whole podcast and uh, I'm I'm very grateful to every one of you for sharing uh, some very personal information and also your views about what needs to happen in terms of Sudan. I'm wondering if we could conclude by giving you an opportunity to to speak to Canadians in terms of what you would like Canadians to do 
in terms of maybe connecting with their members of parliament about Sudan issues or welcoming people more in terms of in our communities uh, across Canada, um, raising issues with the United Nations. What? I, but I'd like you to say from your perspective, what are the important things? Um, in my opinion, I think that uh, people should raise awareness because not a lot of people know about it and uh, obviously the media is not... Uh, bringing any issues, what is happening in Sudan or many other countries that is going through other crises. So just spreading awareness to let people know that, yes, there are people suffering, that there are some governments that don't respect people and don't give them basic human rights. And um, another thing they can do is maybe if they have any kind of Canadian businesses in Sudan for a way to stop it. They can just stop funding whatever they're funding there mm -hmm. to put pressure on the government. For me, what is required from Canadians is just awareness, as said Omnia, and uh, also to put pressure on other countries that are helping Sudanese uh, uh, government, like those have a good relation with Canada. I mean, I, I don't want to mention one of them, but there's a lot of them out there. They support. They still support the the government. And uh, one more thing is that, like now, is uh, two days ago, the president uh, declared the state of emergency in Sudan. So this is kind of like starting a new violence, like uh, more extreme violence. So we need like just maybe in the international community or the UN like just to uh, highlight the issue and just take action. Some action maybe and even the news like whenever they are in the news they don't do it. Like they they might do it but not that harsh. So this is what is required from the Canadian. Um, Canada is well known for being um, a peacekeeping country and I think that whoever is listening out there be posting these things on social media always post these things on social media hopefully maybe the Canadian government can see this because I believe it, the Canadian government has the power to put pressure um, not only um, on the Prime Minister of Sudan but also um, on the United Nations to see this as a serious problem um, it's been, like we said multiple times, it's been 30 years. Uh, we've been through genocide, violence, uh, cultural cleansing, and all of these things. Um, so anyone who's listening out there, post as much as you can on social media and get the word out there, and hopefully um, a solution will come up soon. All right. Well, for me, I think you know this is like we just want to let people know that Sudanese people they're fighting just for their basic needs: food, shelter, and education. And you know we just want to let the Omar Bashir know that you know he's not stronger than anyone. You know he should learn from his own neighbors. Gaddafi, Mubarak, he's not stronger than them. And Sudanese people they're aware now, and those lies he's been using for the last thirty years is gone now. It's not time for it. You know, and this is my last message for him. That's good, Buzz. Okay, I think we've just about run out of time here, and I'd like to thank everyone for coming and sharing with us. Uh, I know we've, Gordon and I have learned a lot, 
Uh, I especially have learned a lot, and, and I'm grateful. Uh, awareness, as you said a, a number of times now, is key. So I think if we've if we have accomplished nothing else today, we've increased awareness of what the problem is in Sudan. So thank you again. As we close today's Human Rights Radio show, we hope you've enjoyed listening to and have learned something new about human rights for all people. For information on past and upcoming shows with links to human rights actions and information, go to amnestysaskatchewan.ca. Peter Benenson, founder of Amnesty International, said, Only when the last prisoner of conscience has been freed, the last torture chamber has been closed, the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights is a reality for the world's people. Will our work be done?